Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to Clash of the Titles, the podcast that sees two movies with something in common go head-to-head to see which one does it better on this episode. In the red corner, the legend that is Bill Murray reworks a Christmas carol for the cynical 1980s because from 1988 or 1989 in the UK date fans, it's Scrooged. This holiday season, see Bill Murray get Scrooged. Hey, back off, big man. I may work with the chicks, but not with me. While in the blue corner, those legends that are the Muppets and Michael Caine offer a more traditional take on the Dickens classic, or at least as a traditional take as possible when it's a film starring a bunch of felt puppets. From 1992, it's the Muppets Christmas Carol. He was the greediest man alive. It's Ebenezer Scrooge. Until the night he met someone extraordinary. Hello. Walt Disney Pictures presents, from Jim Henson Productions, The Muppet Christmas Carol. God bless us, everyone. Whatever. So what's the connection between these two movies, and which one does it better? Let's find out. It's Clash of the Titles. Release the Kraken. Hello, Clash Potters. I'm Alex Zane. I'm Vicky Crompton. I'm Chris Tilly. And this week, as you just heard, it's a Muppet Christmas Carol, or rather the Muppet Christmas Carol, versus Scrooged. I am going to have a guess at the connection this week. <laughs> Is that all right, Chris? Go for it. Okay. Oh. Oh. All right. It's a tough one, isn't it, this week? I'm a little bit flummoxed, but um, did some thinking, mm-hmm. and I've come up with this. You ready? Mm-hmm. Strap in. Is the connection... It's two movies based on a Christmas carol, both starring actors who've been terrorised by animals in film. Michael Caine for Jaws the Revenge and Bill Murray in Caddyshack. <laughs> oh, that's good, isn't it? Yes! That's good. That's good. Vicky, have you got uh, um, any? N- no. <laughs> no. Um, it's both movies set at the end of December. Okay. I like mine. Is that Okay, right? yeah, yours is better. <laughs> yeah, what, the, what the dickens, Alex? 
<laughs> so, um, did you guys enjoy Chris's picks? Yes. I, I, I'm, I'm going to say I'd never seen The Muppet Christmas Carol. So this was a first watch for me. Have you gone through life not having seen The Muppet Christmas Carol? With particular effort. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, it just yeah. seems to be part of my world. Mm. And Yeah, it was hard. It's not been easy. No. I'm not going to lie. Really tough at times. Like, I'd walk into rooms and have to immediately leave. I've left parties because it was on. <laughs> but you saw Scrooge at the time. I've seen Scrooge a billion times. I didn't know it was a year later. I didn't realise that. That was a good bit of... Oh, look, a date fan. <laughs> <laughs> I just don't remember it being having to wait a year to see it. Our only date fan. Uh, of all the people in the room who'd go, it was a year. The mm-hmm. date is different. I was it's annoyed by it. Something I didn't know. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Vicky? What was your history with these two films? Uh, I've seen Scrooge so many times. I saw it when it came out, I think, and... That Which my... year? Which year? Oh, fair enough. That's fair. Um, I think it was my first exposure to the story of A Christmas Carol. And we're not big Dickens readers in my house. Um, so when I found out that it was like a book with like an old dude in it from the 1800s, I was like, wow, that's cool. They adapted that Bill Murray thing. Um, 1843, to be precise, date fans. <laughs> <laughs> and I have se- I've seen The Muppet Christmas Carol, but I, just, I can't remember when it was. It's just, it's just in mm. your soul by this point. In your DNA. Yeah. So what, what, the, what does that make me? A cyborg? I think that's a separate conversation. Yeah. Good, good. It's not therapy. Um, I, uh, yeah, I don't really have anything to add apart from this, other, other than obviously the conversation about the movies. But sure. at this stage, <laughs> that's a shame. Fuck it, should we go on? I, um, I wanted to know uh, before we embark on this journey together whether either of you have read the original Dickens classics before I come across as incredibly uncultured. Oh, no, I've not read it. No, no, no. I've only read one Dickens in my life, and it's a fucking slog. What was it? A Tale of Two Cities. It's really good. But I was like, oh, God. I've read the asterisk version of that. <laughs> I really have. That's fair enough. Uh, yeah, I found it really hard. I just I found it hard going. Obviously, it's amazing. But So, uh, are you ready to get into this? Yes. Let's do it. Chris, you gave me The Muppet Christmas Carol from 1992. Victoria had Scrooged from 1988 slash 1989. Date fans. <laughs> so, we're doing it chronologically. Victoria. Scrooge is an up-to-date reworking of the classic redemption story A Christmas Carol, featuring contemporary festive touches that really lift this tale out of chilly Dickensian London into the modern day. And so we've got assault rifles, lots of vodka and coke, and a total male fantasy of an office Christmas party. Get ready to photocopy your ass and fend off a little sexual assault under the mistletoe. It's the most wonderful time of the year, 1980s style. I thought, got... were, I thought you were doing Scrooged. I don't remember that being Scrooged. Don't be silly. I've got one more. Who you're going to call Bill Murray. Nice. Thank you. Nice. I thought of that on the tube. I was really pleased. Yeah, I think the tagline of the film, actually, they said something about uh, it's Bill it's Murray versus... Three, it's three girls, yeah. only this time versus one. Or Bill Murray's but back it's, it's amongst just... the ghosts, except this time it's three against one. Yeah. But it's four ghosts if you count his former boss. Mm. So that's a lie. And also, isn't it vodka and tab, not vodka and coke? Yeah, but what is tab? Do you not remember Tab Clear? They had it in the UK for I a while. I remember Tab Clear, but I don't remember Tab Dark. Oh, I don't remember Tab Dark either. <laughs> I'm de- that's definitely what it was Both called. Racist. <laughs> what? <laughs> just now. <laughs> so yeah, um, I do. I should just uh, come clean up front that I do find it very difficult to judge this film because I've seen it so many millions of times, um, and because I was such a huge fan of Ghostbusters, I just loved this film without question, and still love it. 
That's weird because it sounds like you just judged it quite explicitly in your introduction. Oh, yeah, just anything for a joke. <laughs> right, right, right. right. <laughs> it's not really how I feel. Okay, okay fine, good. So it is problematic for me because, like, Bill Murray's face, Bill Murray's voice, having watched this film so many times and Ghostbusters so many times and lots of other things he's done, I feel like I know him a little bit better than I know some of my own family. So I find it very difficult to disentangle those emotions. Um, and also, I'm very, let's say, festively inclined. So I'm more than halfway there for the messaging. And I know that uh, some of the reviews of the film weren't fantastic and that the big speech at the end and they think maybe it's a bit hokey. And I do not feel like that at all. I am all in. So I'm with you. I'm absolutely 100% in on this movie, but it does raise an interesting point. And that is the fallout after this movie was made from Bill Murray and what he said about it and Richard Donner and what he said about working with Bill Murray. And the most famous one-star review came from the legend that is Roger Ebert, who gave it one star and then the following year, a couple of years later, did an interview with Bill Murray, who opened the interview with, how do you plan on explaining your one-star review (laughs) of Scrooge? To which Roger Ebert said, it didn't seem that funny. Did you have some disagreements with the director? And this is as far as I can tell where the story begins. Because Murray said, only a few every single minute of the day. (laughs) This could have been a really, really great movie. The script was good. There's maybe one take in the final cut that is mine. We made it so fast it was like doing a movie live. He kept asking me to do things louder, louder, louder. I think he was deaf. I mean, that begs the question, if the script was so good, why are you improv all over it? And he's not the only one. Um, the other people, the script is apparently good because um, only last year, uh, for one of the first times, Carol Kane and Karen Allen talked about the script of this movie um, to Vulture and they were saying that the script was good. The script was fantastic and written by two of Bill Murray's old SNL friends. So, yeah, it's a really interesting question why Bill Murray felt the need to improvise so much. That got me thinking of something, Alex. Have you ever had uh, someone you're interviewing call you out on a review you've done of their work? No, I haven't, actually. Um, because... You only give good reviews. <laughs> well, no, it tends to be that I interviewed them. When I used to interview people, I used to interview them before I did the review. So the review would come out on the Friday, and by that point, we'd done all the reviews. Was I occasionally a bit lenient uh, to some people? Yes. And the only time actually that I wasn't, I did get quite a nasty message from Lee Francis after giving the (laughs) Keith Lemon movie. No way. I gave it a two-star review and I felt that was generous. (laughs) And he called me out on Twitter because he was like, we were friends. And he said, you know, we were friends, dude. I can't believe you've given it two stars. And I was like... That's not how it works, babe. (laughs) It's like, I can't, you know, it's like, where do you draw the line? Do you do it for your readers and the people who are reading the review and send them to a not great movie? I suppose the balance is emotional bribe versus financial bribe. (laughs) (laughs) Well, he actually said, I saw you at the premiere and you were drinking my beer at the premiere. Wow, he had to bring the beer to the premiere. (laughs) (laughs) It's time to ask for Lee. (laughs) And I replied with, okay, you're actually right. I owe you a beer and you owe me two hours of my life back. Oh, that's good. See, that is a good response. And we are definitely doing the Keith Lemon movie (laughs) on a future episode. (laughs) We're not. It's sad because we did used to be friends and we've never spoken since. So there is a tragic end to that story. So shall we get into the plot of the film for people that haven't seen it? It's a Christmas carol. It's a Christmas carol. (laughs) Go for it, Vicky. Uh, So Bill Murray's Frank Cross. And Frank Cross is the youngest president of a TV network in history. 
Uh, he's a little bit stressed out. It's, it's almost Christmas Eve. I'm not quite sure of the timeline. Maybe it's set over a week. Anyway, who cares? Um, and he's overseen a live production of A Christmas Carol. There's a, um, But because he's Ebenezer Scrooge, he's mean and he's alone and everyone is terrified of him. Um, he The way that he runs his network is he thinks that sex sells and violence sells and anyone that disagrees with him is fired. And then that's kind of it. And I think I think a bit of the way he, he runs his network is what Fox News became in terms of trying to instilling fear into the audience to get them to keep watching and being too frightened to switch off. We, we, we learned that a, a, an old lady dies watching a fear, watching one of his trailers, <laughs> which is pretty extreme. Um, and it opens, doesn't it, with, um, with, with three shows coming up on his network, which make you think you're not watching a Christmas Carol. <laughs> that was so funny. Yeah. <laughs> you've, you've got the, um, the Night the Reindeer Died. <laughs> In which uh, Lee Majors plays Lee Majors, which is a joke that's dated. I can't think many people know who Lee Majors is anymore. (laughs) Wait, he was the million dollar man. He was the six Six million million dollar man. Don't underrate him. Well, six million now, that's inflation. It's six billion now. They're making a movie. Oh, is it six billion? Yeah, it's going to be... And also, that's not inflation. That's the reverse of inflation. (laughs) Good, I'm glad I'm not doing a maths podcast. So, yeah, it kicks off with pretty much a horror version of the Santa story. Um, Then we get... um, Father Loves Beaver. Father Loves Beaver. Which, I don't know, that put, sets my teeth on edge in a Christmas carol. Well, that's the thing. This it? festive favourite and we've got Father Loves Beaver. But if you're watching that when you're me and you're eight years old, it, that went straight over my head. And then, unfortunately, I haven't watched it for a few years and now I watch it now and I'm like, ugh, obviously. But there's lots of innocent things that I just didn't really take on board when I watched this. And I feel like this style of filmmaking or storytelling was big at that period where you had like, Kentucky Fried Movie and UHF, The Weird Al Yankovic and Stay Tuned was soon after this where a lot of films seem to be satirising what was happening on TV or where TV was going. And I find that really exciting. (laughs) I love the movie within the movie that is going on in this, this wholesome, traditional Christmas Carol version surrounded by the cynical Bill Murray going, have you tried staples to put antlers on mice moments? (laughs) And and his boss actually uh, suggests, played by Robert Mitchum, suggests um, programming for cats. Which was quite prescient because that does exist now. I did a little. <laughs> yeah, I did a little bit of research in in two thousand and nine. Um, dog TV was launched mm-hmm. uh, with a wish to make dogs feel happier and more relaxed. And then in twenty fourteen, Cats twenty four seven, which is all cats all the time, uh, was launched, and that features shows such as Scaredy Cats, Putting Up with Humans. Cats- <laughs> Cats gone viral and kitten zone. And, and in a why, 28... why do all of those sound creepy? Kitten, kitten zone sounds like Babe Station for yeah, cats. It definitely does. And uh, in in twenty eighteen, Netflix did a survey that found that fifty eight uh, percent of people find pets to be the best partner for binge watching. Correction: fifty eight percent of people surveyed found that. <laughs> <laughs> the Robert Mitchum cameo is phenomenal. He didn't want a cameo in this, and Richard Donner made him sit down with Bill Murray and. And after they sat down together, Richard Donner says, you can't sit down with Bill and not be charmed by him. And after that, Richard, uh, Robert Mitchum was sold on being in the film. I've only interviewed Bill Murray once, which I was surprised by, but then not surprised by. Um, he did Monuments Men, and I interviewed him for that. And I can concur that when you're in his presence, and I don't know whether it's him or his body of work, but you do, you just go gooey. You're like, <laughs> Bill Murray. <laughs> I had a I had a moment with him at Comic Con one year. A moment doesn't sound good. Well, we'll we'll say the good bit. Oh, so at the end of our moment, uh, 
he said to me, oh, where are you from? And I said, London. And he said, never heard of it and walked off. <laughs> and I was like, oh, it's a good little Bill Murray moment. <laughs> that is good. What was the bad bit? Nah, yeah, no, right. let's do it because I told the Lee Francis story. So, you know, tit for tat. Well, he, Bill Murray is my favourite actor. And he looked like he was in a rush. But I thought I'm never getting this, this opportunity again. And I never, ever asked. You tripped him up. I don't ask people for photos, but I did ask him for a photo. And he said, don't do that. And I said, what? He said, don't just come up to someone and ask them for a photo. Have a chat with them, talk to them, get to know them, and then ask them for a photo. And I said, well, I'm sorry, Mr. Murray. I just thought you'd be quite busy and you had places to go and you wouldn't want to talk to me. And he said, let's do the photo. <laughs> so we did the photo. It's a good photo. Really? Not, yeah. not really awkward. Yeah. And it went weirdly viral because underneath it, I put what he said about um, London. And then a load of news agencies picked up on that because it was just a funny Bill Murray line. Yeah. And, and it went viral and looks happy. But afterwards, I was like, oh, yeah. that could have gone better. You got told off, basically. I got told off by Bill Murray. <laughs> I kind of like that. No, nah, I mean, that's who he is. He doesn't, he doesn't give a shit. So alongside Murray in this movie, playing the three ghosts... Um, Let's start with my favourite of the three ghosts. Let me guess. You've missed out. Bill, you've missed out Blake Carrington. What? His his former bot, the first ghost he meets. Um, I know you really hung up on this four ghosts <laughs> idea. People really do think about the Christmas Carol as three ghosts. <laughs> no, sure, that. but this bloke has a, a golf ball and a mouse in his head. Yeah, he looks amazing. That freaked the hell out of me when I was a kid. Okay, okay, it doesn't actually change my answer, but fine, fine, fine. Okay, go for, on. <laughs> for numbers fans, four ghosts. My favourite is Vicky. Would you like to guess? Your favourite is that man from the New York Dolls. No, shut up! Wrong this time. <laughs> My favourite is Carol Kane, the yeah. ghost of Christmas Present, yeah. as the weird fairy godmother, violent fairy godmother. Yeah, I think she is absolutely brilliant, and it's a fascinating story about her famous scene. It's the so-called ball breaker suite where she makes her entrance and kicks the crap out of him. Yeah, so. They were going to hire a ballet dancer as a double to actually make it amazing. Yeah. But she wanted to, you know, be in it and look good. So she tried to learn ballet as best she could. And she'd got to a point where she was like, I think I'm pretty good. <laughs> like in two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> so her and her ballet teacher agreed that they were going to show the art director. They showed the art director how good she got. And he started laughing hysterically and couldn't stop because it was so awful. And he then went to Richard Donner and went... Let's not do her being good at this. Let's put this version in because it's hilarious because she's rubbish. Oh, I thought it... Because the way she moves, because she's, like, kicking yeah. and, like, you can almost see the wires, even though I suppose a lot of effort had gone to hide the wires. I thought it was on purpose to make her look more deranged. Yeah, it feels like that when yeah. you watch it. And I think the way they've done it really sets up her character brilliantly. Yeah. And she says uh, they were so courageous, talking about Richard Donner and uh, the sadly now deceased Michael Reaver, the art director. He, she says they were so cre courageous creatively choosing to do it that way because it was such a mess but it was the best I could do and it was the best the character could do. Oh, that's lovely. Yeah. She worked, When I was younger, she was my absolute favourite because I was eight and I was really into Tom and Jerry and so it sort of made you were sense. You are into Tom and Jerry more than the New York Dolls. Uh, actually, yeah, I, was, um, I wasn't cool when I was eight. <laughs> there is something funny about ultra-violent slapstick. The bit yes. where she smashes him with the toaster, mm. I remember going, 
I can I can remember my brother becoming hysterical in that moment, and we watched that moment over and over. I used to play it over and over again because of what it did to my brother in terms of making him giggle. Because <laughs> apparently Bill Murray said, "I want you to actually get physical with me in this scene," and they both agreed that she wasn't going to pull her punches. Sure, she was going to go for it, which is all great. Although it did result in the bit where she bites his lip, that tiny bit of skin that holds your bottom lip. Uh- and she pulls, she doesn't bite it, she pulls on it. That uh, that little bit that you oh, can and see. it rips. It tore and they had oh. to they had to stop filming while he recovered because she ripped his bottom lip away from his oh gums. Oh my God, I bet that bled like a geezer. Yep. Do you not think? Ugh. Yep. Is she your favourite of the four ghosts? Four yeah, ghosts? Yeah, got it. Um... Why are you doing an impression of her? <laughs> Listeners, you can't see. Vicky seems to be dancing like her while she did that. It's either that or I can feel like, I feel like I'm flying, Jack. <laughs> You've got your your arms I long for that moment. Don't even joke about that. Every day, if someone would just walk up behind me when I have my arms out. Yeah, I really imagine that if a stranger walked up behind you when you had your arms out, grabbed you and went... Don't let me fall! (laughs) Anyway... Um, she used, she was my favourite, but the New York Dolls guy yeah, on, on this rewatching, he is so very good. And I and the ghost, the the scenes in Christmas Past, I enjoy more than the mm. scenes in Christmas Present. They go back to 1955, mm. very Back to the Future. Mm. Um, yeah, and he, it's in a car. Yeah, it sure is. Mm. Uh, yeah. And it, and it's a it, uh, what's it? A what's, taxi specifically. Sorry, say I, what you see. I should have written this down. We keep we keep saying New York Dolls man. What's his name? David, David Johansson. David Johansson. Um, <laughs> and that's his David Johansson. He's the second. It's the second time we're talking about him on the show. <laughs> he was brilliant in Free Jack, but now he's brilliant mm. in an actual brilliant movie. <laughs> I think of him as Buster Poindexter. Do you remember when he yeah. was Buster Poindexter? Yeah, I do. That's why I can't remember his name. Um, and there's lots of fun little interesting character actors in this film. Um, when he when Frank hangs out with the homeless people, you've got Michael J. Pollard and Anne Ramsey as the two of the homeless people, who are two great faces from 70s and 80s cinema, especially Anne Ramsey, who everyone knows from Gremlin, uh, Gremlins, Goonies, mm. uh, and Throw Mama from the Trade. And Michael J. Pollard, I find his his performance and his character in this is really quite moving. Herman. Oh, yeah. when he gets frozen to oh, death. Oh, yeah. God. Yeah. yeah so, sorry. Uh, can we talk about... Um, <laughs> spoiler alert. Spoiler alert for ancient <laughs> Nin- film. 1988 slash 1989. <laughs> yeah. Sorry if I've ruined that for you. Can we talk about Karen Allen as Claire mm. for a minute? Yes. Um, so when Bill Murray is visited by the first of the four ghosts... Um, <laughs> He reconnects with his wait, second of the four ghosts. Wait, then. do you mean? What? Do you mean? Do, oh, this is your fault. That Why your have fault. you got us into this? I Which didn't ghost? come in with an agenda. You have. That's a lie. What? You've always, you always come with an agenda. We know this. It's not written down anywhere. Which do you mean? Do you mean the ghost? The, one of the three ghosts. Just say the ghost of past, present, or Christmas. No, Year to his me. old boss. His old boss, right. Lou Hayward. Oh yeah, that's um, the first one. Yeah. Shut up! I know. <laughs> I've seen it about ten times. I know. Anyway. When uh, your arms are outstretched again, <laughs> I'm really but it's a different feeling. <laughs> it hit me. It's a body like I'm trying to take up more space to scare him. <laughs> um, Lou Hayward, as a ghost, presses the phone in Bill Murray's office. That rings Claire, his ex girlfriend. He hasn't spoken to her for 15 years. He leaves her a garbled message because he's freaking out. The next day, she turns up at the studio like, "Hey, Lumpy," and wants to reconnect with no like, "Where the fuck have you been for 15 years? And why have we not been speaking?" Also, her entire character in that scene is she's a bit ditzy and therefore she's super cute and super lovable. Mm. And I've just found that annoying. But isn't the message he leaves, if my memory serves me correctly, 
quite scared. She turns up because she's worried about him because he's yeah. freaking out. Yeah. And because she's a very good person yeah, and she cares. Yeah, she's a good person, yeah. I mean, she's, I, I, I do love Karen Allen. I just think the what the writer has given her in that scene to convey her character is that she can't button up her coat properly. And he's like, oh, you can't button up, you can't. She's like, you know me. And it's like, well, maybe you shouldn't work with vulnerable people at a homeless shelter if you can't concentrate on buttoning up your coat. <laughs> That's what I think. Okay. But she's single, so hooray! So we can move the story on. Um, and when we're in with... I mean, she's super cute. And then when we're with... Man from the New York Dolls as the ghost of Christmas past. Yep. We see their meet cute when they literally like bang heads leading to the lump. I hate that lump, that word lumpy, but whatever. Mm. Um, and the, the, the start of their relationship deteriorating when they give each other Christmas presents and he gets her a set of knives mm. and she gets him the Karma Sutra. And that they're very different gifts. I love the fact that it's Lumpy. I think it oh, really I works. It. I know as a name, if we met someone called Lumpy or a couple rather, where one of them referred to the other as Lumpy, we'd Gross. be like, leave us alone. Yeah. We are very busy. <laughs> and we can't interact right now. However, because of his slick persona as Frank Cross, I think it really works the idea that he had a nickname at some point that was Lumpy. Do you not think Lump is better? Like Lump is cuter. Yeah, Lumpy's like a bit like the Presidents of the USA song. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I just okay. think Lumpin. I just I think uh, cancer. Ooh. I don't like it. Oh, okay. Yeah, I know it's a it's a dark turn. It was. <laughs> it was a sharp left there. <laughs> <laughs> so moving away from cancer, sure. Murray said uh, of the original script that uh, we tore up the script so badly there were pieces all over the lawn. But one of the things that he insisted that they build up in a new script is the romance with. Karen Allen, he says there wasn't enough of it in the original script and they needed more of it because that is Frank's redemption. Yeah. But it does feel like she's a bit of a doormat or that she's just going to be waiting for him no matter what. Yeah. And I kind of like, no, I want her to be a bit stronger and better. And isn't the implication later in the film that when he dies, she suddenly turns into a yuppie? I thought she looked amazing like that. Yeah, but I just don't buy it. If she's this good person, she's not going to change because of him Because of dying. one thing he said. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just, um, I didn't quite buy into her character, but I think she delivers a lovely performance. Mm. She's, she's very likeable on screen. Yeah. She does. And I think she dealt with quite a lot with Bill Murray because <laughs> um, she says of his need to improvise and the first day that they were on set, he came up to her before they were shooting and went, I don't know about the way this script is written. Uh, and uh, Richard Donner stepped in and went, what's going on, Bill? And so it began. But she says that she doesn't know what Bill Murray's need to improvise, where it comes from. It's something she's never quite figured out. The only thing she offers is he worked on things to stay as fresh as possible. And she felt that him improvising and starting a scene without doing the actual lines from the script, but doing improv mm. was his way into the scene so that when he finally came to do the lines on the script, a lot of which are in the final film, he'd already sort of settled into yeah. this moment. Like a process. Yeah. Which I realise, you know, is a very actory thing. But I do think it's fascinating that he gives some of the greatest performances of our lifetimes mm. and that is the way he does it. And it's worked. I mean, famously, Ghostbusters, he improvised his entire part in that movie. Yeah, have you watched, there's a new documentary about Ghostbusters on Netflix. <gasps> I saw it on my thing the other day. I was like, yeah, yeah. yeah. Please yeah, and, don't and, let and, it be shit. It's all, it's all right. There's, oh, there's some God. good behind-the-scenes stories. But, yeah, one of them is, is literally him when he first goes around to Sigourney Weaver's apartment and he improvises that whole scene and they had to keep reshooting it because <laughs> the crew was laughing because it's the first time they'd heard lines. And it's like... <laughs> Sorry, I was just thinking... Why, when right. he tinkles the piano. No, that was it. Oh they had to God. reshoot that because that was I the bit they were laughing. <laughs> 
But also, I think there's an arrogance to Bill Murray um, where he believes that what he can come up with at the top of the up the top of his head is going to be better than what's in the script. But do you not think... And I think there's a part, an element of him that doesn't care as well. Like He feels like films are almost beneath him and that's when he's best in movies, I think, is when it's almost okay. like he's not trying. Well, that's what I was going to say. Do you not think, you know, to be Bill Murray and to have... Like that arrogance is what creates these great performances. Yeah, and that's, you have to believe that what you're saying is hilarious, and that on the spot you can just come up with gold that a writer couldn't come up with. And, and that's that, why you're Bill Murray, and that's why you cast him. Yeah, because he's Bill Murray. Yeah, and that's what he brings. It sounds like a lot of his issues with this movie, and a lot of the bad things. Let's sort of generalize and say the criticisms he had of the film afterwards. All of this came from his insecurity at taking a lead role in a movie for the first time since, what was it, The Razor's Edge? Where it oh, was the his, thing that flopped. The thing that flopped. And yeah. He was a star, but he'd always been part of an ensemble. He'd never taken a lead in a comedy. And I think all of it is just a manifestation of his insecurity, and that's why he may have been quite difficult to work with on this film. I think he's difficult to work with on a lot of films. Mm. I th- you hear a lot of stories about him. I think the only director he really gets on with is Wes Anderson. Um, I, yeah, know, I bet he got on with Jim Jarmusch on them. Mm. Yeah, no, I guess. When the <laughs> probably died. Yeah. Well, they've done a lot of films well, together. Yeah. Um, no, you're absolutely right. Yeah, the only film he did between this and Razor's Edge was Little Shop of Horrors. Yeah, which people don't really count. He was in a self-imposed four-year exile from cinema, but he did do the cameo in Little Shop of Horrors, which is also the best bit in Little Shop of Horrors. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I, I, I've tried to watch Razor's Edge. It's mm-hmm. bad. Is it really? Yeah, it's bad. So I've never seen it. I know very little about it. Yeah, it's not. It's a historical kind of epic, but it just doesn't work. And I don't think he'd found his rhythm in terms of doing delivering serious performances. Do we really want Bill Murray to be delivering serious performances? I don't know. Yeah, I know. I, I, I love it when, when he, he takes a more serious turn. Like, I guess it, Lost in Translation was the first big one where you but, saw this other side to yeah, him. Yeah, again, but I would not call that a sort of serious turn. In the same way, like... I don't would. know. It's really sad. His but he's also there. very funny in it. Sure. You know, he's still Bill Murray. Do you know what I mean? It's not like, I wouldn't call it an out and out dramatic performance because mm. there are moments in that, you know, some slapstick. He's always going to deliver humour, though. Even Hudson on the River, where he played um, Roosevelt. He's still funny, mm-hmm. Roosevelt, but I don't know. I, I, like, I like this sort of second win that his career's had with, with slightly more serious films. Well, Richard Donner would disagree with. Uh, you on when Bill Murray became an actor because he says of the final monologue in this, which mm-hmm. I think we should talk about, he says of the final monologue he left it till the very end because it was the dramatic moment in the film and he wanted to do it last and he says, on the last take I saw something happen to Billy his words, not mine him. I saw Billy Murray become <laughs> an actor the boy <laughs> become a man <laughs> Uh, so he thinks that that point in that final monologue, that was when Bill Murray stopped just being a comic actor and became a real I actor. love that speech. I, I can't remember the exact words. Isn't it like... Don't, because it goes on for about 15 minutes. Yeah, I still loved it. Like, um, Isn't it on Christmas Eve we become the people we should be? Is that not the gist of it? Yeah. yeah. It's, it's weird because I think it's quite... It feels quite schmaltzy, but because it's delivered in such an ad hoc improvised way, it feels authentic. Yep. So I like it a lot. You and I agree with him. Apart from uh, all the stress and the drinking at Christmas Eve, I should be that person <laughs> for the rest of the year. You say schmaltzy, I say incoherent. I, I, I think Richard Donner's talking a load of bollocks there. Um, and 
I always found, even as a kid, I found this scene really difficult. You've got this very cynical film that suddenly becomes very um, sentimental, and I don't buy the switch. Isn't that a Christmas Carol? No, no. (laughs) It's not. It's not, though, because a Christmas Carol, you get this payoff, which the whole story is about where he goes uh, to Bob Cratchit's house, Mm. and then he should go to his girlfriend's house. He stands there chatting to camera. He's still um, this arrogant bloke and they all have to come to him so you don't get this wonderful moment where he's running around town trying to right wrongs you've got a scene where he goes and sticks his tongue down the throat of a woman that isn't the girl he's in love that's with that's uncomfortable sure <laughs> yeah oh, not fully sold on that I forgot about that but I think some of it is just logistical Chris because he's back at work and a lot of the people who he needs to apologise would necessarily be at his work because they work for him at that work and he interrupts the live show so obviously his assistant's there with a child who doesn't speak and it feels right that they would be there sure but then go go to your brother's house you don't even see him reconnect with his brother that's where the emotional heart of the film is i don't know doesn't he send him something really good doesn't his brother open something <laughs> and he can't believe what he's got oh no it's because his assistant sends it yep yeah sorry, yep, yep. <laughs> and his sorry. brother does see him apologize but he sees it on television exactly yeah. and I, so i feel like you you lose a bit of the emotional payoff that that you get in the Christmas Carol story. But when Grace's child speaks for the first time in five years... Yeah, because he, he, he stopped speaking because he saw uh-huh. his dad get murdered. Yeah. Hello. <laughs> Hello, <laughs> kids. <Happy> Christmas. <laughs> um, did you not cry your eyes out? No, not at all. Oh, yeah. I loved it. <laughs> I did too. I did too. All right, Scrooge. Jeez. Do you like Christmas? I don't think you do. I like Christmas. I like Christmas movies. Okay. You don't like this. <laughs> I'm, uh, no, I'm, I'm decided yet. <laughs> Bullshit. <laughs> Ooh, big question mark. Uh, so, Chris, do you want to lead us? These were your choices. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Vicky, who is your most valuable character? So, the obvious answer would be Bill Murray. Um, but let's try and be a bit different just mm-hmm. for the sake of it. I'm going to say um, Alfre Woodard, who plays Grace, his assistant. I think um, she, I think she does that very well. Basically, um, she's the right mix of like put upon, but kind. You can see she's got some love for him, although she wouldn't still be there. He doesn't pay her fantastically well, but she's got a job that she probably finds quite exciting, um, and she's just like a great mum. And I, I just, I thought she was brilliant. So Alfre Woodard, Alex, um. So I've got. A, I'm going to do a top three because, okay. in the same vein as what you said, it's like Murray is very obvious. So at three, it's Karen Allen. I think she's fantastic and so likable. And when I met her in real life, she once came on a radio show I was doing uh, to discuss Indiana Jones and Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, and she was just mm. such a lovely, lovely person. Yeah, and she was. She came in and went, "Oh my god, you're Shia." And I was like, hmm? She was convinced, convinced I looked like Shia LaBeouf. And that's why you like her. No, it's just a memory that I just had. And um, and then there are photos now where I go, well, I can see see a little bit of a So your narcissism is such that you like her Mm. in this film because she gave you a big compliment. How well do you know me, Victoria? (laughs) I sometimes wish he was a bit shyer. (laughs) Oh, that's good. I think that might be our first pun of the show. (laughs) 
God, how long have we been recording? That's a long I, time. I, I interviewed are, you, are you backing off on the puns? Is this an active decision? <laughs> I interviewed her when she was doing that same junket tour, and I agree. I thought she Who was one of the loveliest like? people. Yep. No, I think I paid her a Harrison compliment. Harrison Ford. <laughs> I paid Wouldn't her it be a compliment. If you were like, she said I look like Shia <laughs> <laughs> No, I thought she she looked the same as she did in Rage. I thought mm. she she she. I think Don't I paid say her. she aged well or something <laughs> awful. Don't not don't nod. You're, a, then, you're aging well. Am I? Yeah. There I you go. Like aged oh, she likes it. She likes it. That's really unfair. The old switcheroo. God, I thought that was too obvious. Oh, I'm really mad. You asshole. No, you do. You do look nice today, Alex. Carry on. At uh, number two, uh, Carol Kane. Uh, I think she's absolutely brilliant as the ghost of Christmas Present. But uh, you can't have this movie. This movie doesn't exist without Murray, and so. It has to be Murray as the MVC for all the manifestations of his insecurity that I think made it a difficult shoot. As I said, uh, it's it's a Murray movie, not the Murray Christmas movie, but a Murray movie. Could he not have just said Bill Murray and not done two and three? Oh, we've got time. Okay, I didn't realize we had time. Um, I am going for. <laughs> I'm going to take a leaf out of your book. Okay. I'm going for Bill Murray's um, hair and turtleneck combination <laughs> oh my God. when they're back in the 60s. It's so good. He <laughs> looks so good. That hair's on fire. It's amazing. Uh, Favourite scene? Uh, the restaurant scene where, he start, where he's starting to lose it and hallucinate and uh, he's served a drink with an eyeball in it and he sees a baked Alaska catch fire and set fire to a waiter. It's a, just, it's a really well-paced um, scene. And I, he plays it really well, um, and it's very funny. Do, do you think there's a suggestion there that he's that they're suggesting that he might be suffering from actual psychosis, from and stress-induced psychosis? And then yeah. that finale could be seen as him having a breakdown. Yeah, definitely. Like, it's a bit like the ending of or that scene in Network. Yeah. Um, just a thought. Yeah. Good choice. Uh, Al. Good evening. I had the thought and just carried on with my bit. <laughs> Sorry, what have you got a top five, have you got top five here, Alex? I do actually top have, ten. I do top we, twenty-five. We're doing best scene. I do actually have two. Fantastic. I do have two. This, that's not how this section works. Oh my god, bar humbug over there. You've just had half an hour to talk about any scene you bloody want. I just couldn't decide. In all honesty, I could not decide. I ping pong between two scenes. One is the opening scene in the boardroom where he's chewing out his staff and he's the worst of Frank Cross. I love that. And the other scene is the monologue at the end when he's had his redemption and he's the best version of Frank Cross. And I've just put it down to the fact that I'm a man of extremes. It's all or nothing and I can't decide. So it's both those scenes. Suck it up. (laughs) Uh, For me, uh, on behalf of my little brother, I'm going to say the toaster scene because it made him so happy when he was little. Oh, happy Christmas. Yeah. He does have a heart. (laughs) (laughs) And what would you change? Oh, I don't like what happens to the censor. You know, there's a, mm. a character in that that she's the censor. She's on set for some reason to make sure that a Christmas carol is, is above board. Um, and there's a lot of like slapstick violence that happens to her. But it just doesn't, it builds for no reason. And I just found it, I don't know, I found it uncomfortable and this time around. she kind of sexually assaults tr- uh, Clamp as well, she, doesn't she? She does yeah. sexually assault someone at the John end. John Glover? John Glover, yeah. yeah. Clamp from uh, Gremlins 2. Yeah. I just don't, I just don't see the... There's no... Because she hasn't got much of a character. When Carol Kane is assaulting Bill Murray, it's, it's funny. Because the sense is just this, like, naggy woman. Mm. And you're just beating the shit out of her for the whole mm. film. I don't like it. Am I right in thinking she plays the police psychologist in the Lethal Weapon movies? Is that the same actress? Is this your segue to doing um, a Bobcat? No, that, that woman is in the boardroom at the start of the movie. Okay, okay. With I the, know big, with the big 80s blonde hair. Yeah, 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 yeah. 
Um, what I'd change is I genuinely would rather Bill Murray hadn't been so vocal for so long about his issues with the movie and called it out on what he thinks were its problems because I think it spoils the movie in some way for me. I think the backstory, which granted not everyone would know, but having researched it and read up about it, it sort of sours what would otherwise be a truly magnificent Christmas. And I wonder if there's more to it, because about a few years ago, they were releasing a Blu-ray of this with a commentary and with a whole bunch of extras. They announced what all the extras were, the length. They were all ready to put them out, and then they pulled pulled it, and none of that stuff has been seen since. So I wonder if there's something behind the scenes that they don't want to talk about or Hmm? might get them in legal trouble. Okay. Uh, I Do you would... know this feels like something you know? No, I don't. No, no, no. I was just. I was... It is in the ballpark of things that you know that no one else knows. <laughs> I definitely know what's on that Blu-ray, <laughs> and I will tell you off air. It is disgusting. <laughs> Great. Um, I would get rid of the sing song at the end. I don't like it. I don't think it earns it. Uh, put a little love in your heart isn't even a Christmas song. Um, oh and I, I think you've got to earn your sentimentality, and it doesn't. So. No, thanks. Merry Christmas, everyone. My God. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Well, that puts an end to Scrooge. Shall we do the Muppet Christmas Carol? Yes. I, your Yay! enthusiasm has bowled oh, me over. Sorry. I didn't realise you needed permission. <laughs> I just, you know, I'm just trying to compensate for Scrooge in the corner by being welcoming for once. Just okay. being honest. Yeah. Uh, okay. Um, would you like to map a Christmas carol, Alex? I'd love to, Chris. Thanks very much. I'll just jump in with my introduction then. So this week I was given 1992's The Muppet Christmas Carol, a film I watched because I too love The Muppets and Chris also told me to watch it. However, I wasn't informed it was a musical and without wanting to crampus all over this, <laughs> I don't really like musicals unless they're Mary Poppins. I love Mary Poppins. Should I have been given Mary Poppins? Maybe. Please direct those queries to at Tilly Tweets. <laughs> then I found out who wrote the songs and that changed everything. Let's talk 
The Muppet Christmas Carol. I'll drink to Mr. Scrooge, even though he is stingy <laughs> and badly dressed. <laughs> so I take it from that you're a Paul Williams fan. I am. For two reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, first of all, his story that the journey he went on to be writing the songs for this is fascinating. And there's a second reason why I love him. So Paul Williams, uh, who wrote the songs, um, had been nominated for two Oscars for the Muppet movie in 1979, which was Kermit's Rainbow Connection and the score for that. He then went nuts. And by his own admission, he spent the 80s in a vodka and cocaine hell. He says he went from Johnny Carson's couch to peeking through Venetian blinds looking for the tree police. Oh, shit. <laughs> By 1990, he'd been through recovery, but he was pretty sure his career was over and he was never, ever going to write music again. And then Brian Henson approached him and went, will you do the songs for the Muppet Christmas Carol? And he says of that, the universe will line up to do something at the right time in your life. He said, I'm sitting down to write songs about Scrooge, a man who's learning to live life in a whole new way. It's like, okay, this is my inventory of dealing with where I am in my life. There's never been anything more aligned than me writing about Scrooge's arc as I was experiencing it. The Muppet Christmas Carol became my bridge back to songwriting. God damn it, that's beautiful. It really is. Yeah, it and is. You hear that and the songs take on a whole new meaning when you watch this movie. Mm. The second reason I love Paul Williams is he played Little Enos in Smokey and the Bandit, so <laughs> he's got a pass from me on everything forever because he was in Smokey and the Bandits. Are you a, are you a Paul Williams fan? I didn't know who he was until you just told me who he was. Just he now. did the songs for Bugsy Malone. Oh, really? Yeah, I didn't know that. <laughs> Well, now I am. So you want to be a boxer? Oh, whoa! He did an impression. Impression, sound the alarm. We could have been anything that we wanted to be, and it's not too late to change. Shit, should we have done Bugsy Malone? <laughs> Make a note of Bugsy Malone. And have you seen Phantom of the Paradise? I have not. Uh, that's why I've been too scared to put forward as a potential. Because no one's heard of it. Yeah. <laughs> it's really good, though. I don't know why you're looking at me. I have not heard of it. <laughs> all right, back to the Muppet Christmas You give Carol. a little love and oh! it all comes back to you. Mm. Wow, 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 It's almost wow, like we're singing those songs because they're more memorable than the ones in Muppet yeah. Christmas yeah, Carol. I've did, all right. Yeah, I feel um, bad about thinking that. I, if I'd known that story, I would have viewed them more generously, but I don't like the songs. So, either. hands up. I read that story and then I like the songs more. Yeah. I read yeah. the story after watching the movie and I went, oh, God, these are okay, I yeah. guess. Fantastic lyrics. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love the story, but no, they're not my favourite songs in a musical ever. No. There's a, there's a lot going on, though, before we get to the songs, in the first sort of couple of minutes of this. Like, the first thing you see is In Loving Memory of Jim Henson, yeah. which is very moving. Obviously, mm. this is the first film they made after... Henson passed away. Um, then all the Muppets are treated like real-life actors. You've got Kermit the Frog. Of as, course. As, oh, that's great. <laughs> and Michael Caine gets fifth Billy. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then you're into a whole series of great gags. That whole world they've built at the start where the camera's going through the streets and you've got the cart of sentient vegetables going, please save us, which is pretty dark. (laughs) Um, Then you've got uh, (laughs) the guy who's selling turkeys and the turkey pops out of his box and he goes, get back in the box, Martin. (laughs) Brilliant line. And then Rizzo's first line is fantastic. They're selling apples and he's eating them. 
And Gonzo goes, what are you doing? And he's going, I'm creating scarcity. Drives the prices up. <laughs> These are three solid gags inside a minute. Um, this is the first... So, so I, I, I saw an interview with Kermit the Frog about this movie. <laughs> sure. Uh, he said it's a new thing for the Muppets to do a classic story, which is true. It's the first time they've done an adaptation like this. He said, we've stayed very faithful to the original story with the exception of the fact that we have lots of barnyard animals playing the parts. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, this was originally supposed to be a TV movie. It was, yeah. So I think the story goes that Brian Henson, uh, Jim Henson's son, his agent called him up and said, I really think you guys should do A Christmas Carol. And Brian replied, okay, I'll think about it. And as he was thinking about it, his agent called him back and went, I've sold the rights to mm. ABC TV. That's rude, isn't it? <laughs> Didn't even wait for an answer. Yeah, someone had a tax bill they weren't expecting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But then Disney got word of this and then decided to turn it into a theatrical release and the first Muppets theatrical release uh, for quite a while. I think it was 1984, the Muppets Take Manhattan was the previous uh, theatrical release. Um, are we all big Muppets fans here? Can I just check? It's a difficult question to answer. I can't say no, because, again, they're sort of part of your person by this point. Mm. But uh, I'm not, I, you know, if it was, they're not in my top 10 favourite things of all time. I That was abs- not the question. <laughs> Sorry. I don't want to. Do you keep a running list of that? Of top 10 favourite things, absolutely. Go, go, through the, uh, go through the 10. And no, we'll... Just give us one. Give us one. At, uh, Christmas. Um, <laughs> okay. Okay, no, it's fine. The pub. Mm. Um, cheese. I love cheese. Okay. Um, no, her children haven't popped up yet. <laughs> <laughs> I said ten. Just after cheese. Are you doing them chronologically? Eight, nine, ten. Yeah, okay. Eight, nine, and ten. Okay. Yeah. Sure, 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 They're sure, in sure, the sure. list. Uh, Alex, did you grow up loving the Muppets? I absolutely loved the Muppet show when I was a kid. The original Muppet show and the reruns that were on, I think, BBC. Mm. Um, like Sunday the, night, weren't they? Yeah, in the 80s. Yeah. And that whole environment, the backstage thing with Kermit losing his shit to trying to run a show every week and was it going to happen and the guest star coming on. Love that. And then I never sort of made the transition into the movies. And then mm. I remember vaguely Muppets Tonight coming back, a sort of reworking of yeah. a similar thing later. And by that point, I'd lost interest. So... Genuinely, until, like I said, I'd never seen this movie until the recent Muppets movies, um, which I watched, um, I'd sort of, they'd fallen off my radar. I think what's interesting about that TV show that, that you were talking about in the 80s is, is for, for kids of our generation, that was your introduction to grown up, sophisticated humour. Mm. Because all the different styles of humour they used were what you would see as an adult, but they were just done for kids. So, as you say, you've got Kermit running around, you've got slapstick, you've got dance you've got um one-liners from fozzy you've got a like a romantic comedy with piggy and kermit yeah these really well-defined characters that every week you knew what they were going to do but it was going to be chaos and would the show happen there was a sense of jeopardy it was brilliant and i loved literally the setup of people walking from the right of the screen onto the stage and then left back into that little backstage place where kermit was losing his shit (laughs) do you have a favorite muppet gonzo Mm. by a mile yeah, it's weird. I really loved Gonzo as a kid. Yeah, I'll tell you a little Gonzo story too for me. Yeah, which is um, I was reading about uh, David Goals, who uh, is um, the man who plays Gonzo, and it. What I found so touching is the relationship that these puppeteers have with their characters, and how the characters and their lives run in conjunction. So the guy who plays 
Gonzo. He says, Gonzo changed as I changed because at the beginning, in the 70s, when we were making The Muppets Show, Gonzo was pathetic. And that came from him, David Goals, not knowing how he'd found himself in showbiz or where he was. And then in the 80s, he started therapy and went from not wanting kids to being on the set of Fraggle Rock and tearing up whenever anyone brought their kids on. He then had his own two kids... And at that point, Gonzo was cast as Charles Dickens in this movie. And he says this is when Gonzo really entered his soulful phase. And just that connection and the idea that he's lived his life as Gonzo and as him and how interwoven they are, I think it's wicked. Yeah, it's beautiful. Have you have you met the Muppets? I have, yeah. Yeah, it's quite exciting, isn't it? It's amazing. <laughs> it's, it's, interviewing the Muppets is quite a surreal experience. Mm. You think? <laughs> I, spent, I spent a day on set with them, which was fine, but actually I did a junket with them in LA and it's so funny. You go in and you the, the puppeteers are on the floor and you kind of say hello to the puppeteers, but then it feels like they just completely disappear. They don't go anywhere, but your eye line moves up to Kermit and, and, and Piggy. And they're real. They just come to life. Okay. I was interviewed by Miss Piggy on the BAFTA red carpet once, and no offence to humans, but it was the best interview of the night. Did she flirt with you? Yeah, she did do it. She's she's a flirt. (laughs) She really is. And poor Kermit. Kermit got upset in my interview because she was flirting with me so much. Really? Yeah. You two are so weird. You seem so right now. I, no, <laughs> I'm not sure about this. I don't know. You're just two grown men. But it's also it's 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 a bit of a mind melt because the guys that are doing the puppetry are also doing the voice and coming up with the jokes. Yeah, they're improvising, and it's just there's just a lot going on. They're you very just, clever people. Very very clever. It's it's weird because um, David Goals, and I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Uh, he said of the scenes that he did with. Um, Gonzo and Rizzo, um, that after a director calls cut on any Muppets movie, the Muppets remain in character for a little bit afterwards, literally talking to each other as though they're Muppets, going, uh, how was that? Did we do a good job? And he says, plus some comments I can't put out for public consumption, which I love the idea of Rizzo turning to Gonzo and going, what the, the fuck, fuck was, was that? that? <laughs> <laughs> are, you, are you here? Did you read the script? Were you out last night? I've seen that. I've seen that. Well, Muppets Most Wanted, because uh, Ricky Gervais was on set that day, and they would be saying quite rude things when the camera stopped rolling. Was that down at the Maritime Museum in Greenwich? Were you yeah, 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 I was there. Oh. That was great fun, yeah. Ricky Gervais uh, suggested at one point that the Muppets weren't real, and then he went, you're going to have to cut that before a red dot appears on my forehead. <laughs> Um, but it's not Ricky Gervais in this film, it's Michael Caine, mm. um, who I believe has said this is one of his favourite roles that he's played. He's outstanding. He really is. Really is, and and famously he said that he was going to take it seriously, yeah. he was going to treat it like working at the RSC, yeah. and, and that's what he does. That is what yeah. he does. Very quickly, David Warner was considered, David Hemmings, George Carlin, and Ron Moody, who played Fagin in Oliver, but it was Michael Caine they went with, and you're right, he said, I will never wink. I will never do anything Muppety. <laughs> I'm giving it a go. Yeah. It's not my best work. I just needed a bit of warning. That's <laughs> but like some of the lines in this, the line where he goes, December is the foreclosure season, harvest time for the moneylenders. That's a great line. And the bit where he goes, I've sewn you up, I've set your bones, but I won't bury you. I've buried enough members of the Muppet family. Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> well, in terms of the line, oh, and the line where he goes, uh, 
Some frogs just want to watch the world burn. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, he's building up to that, that wouldn't he? He was building up to that. that Um, In terms of good lines, though, um, Gonzo plays Charles Dickens in the film, and they do use quite, they use him to perform some of Dickens' original words, which I think is a really great thing to put in a film for kids. And um, he does at the end say, if you like, if you like this movie, now read the book. So there, and he, there is an educational element to this film, as well as it being funny. You learn a little bit about what life was like in Victorian London. Hmm? Um, Do you? Yeah, in terms of the poverty. I mean, London looks a lot cleaner, and I don't think there were penguins having a laugh on the streets. <laughs> but there were sentient vegetables, as I remember. <laughs> that's, that's the thing, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah never eat singing salad. <laughs> so, uh, let's talk about the ghosts. Let's talk about the ghosts. Because... Um, Interestingly, it was going to be some of the famous Muppets who were going to play the ghosts. Uh, the ghost of Christmas past. God, that's terrifying. Yeah, originally it was going to be Robin the Frog yeah. uh, playing oh, that. Cute. And as with all the ghosts, it was decided that to keep up this ominous sense of foreboding and a little bit scary, they were going to be brand new creations playing the ghosts. So instead of Robin the Frog for the ghost of Christmas past, we get that terrifying floating head that is a cross between something from Spirited Away Mm. and the Red Queen from Resident Evil when she goes, you're all going to die down here. (laughs) It's that. And and did you see how they created that effect? No. I I didn't because I draw the line where you don't, Chris. I I draw it, I don't want to know the technical side of it. they, They filmed her floating in a tank of water. And that technology was really big at that time a in movies. A real person? A real no, child? No, like a, no, no, not a real child. <laughs> see, on. see, this is a, why you it don't was a puppet. It, it was definitely a puppet. <laughs> right, so they're not real. Well, yeah, just, and, you and, sound less sure. <laughs> and the flowing robes, they filmed in a water tank and then superimposed. I see. But what other films did they use that technology on? Because this was big in the 80s. There's two... Oh, oh my God! The Dark Crystal. No! Ghostbusters. Ghostbusters. The the, the library ghost <gasps> is the same the technology, ghost. and the Shh. oh my god, <laughs> and the ending of Raiders. That's how they did some of those oh, wow. effect shots. Okay. See, it was interesting. It was. I take it back. You were right. <laughs> you were right. Uh, so that ghost is terrifying. Um, now the ghost of Christmas Present was going to be Miss Piggy, and in the end is that giant bearded, giant Brian dude. Blessed kind of yeah. puppet. I have a question, and I don't know whether you're going to be able to answer it, because, again, uh, none of us have read the original Christmas Mm. Carol by Charles Dickens. But the fact that he ages over the course of that one day and dies by the end, I don't know if that's in the book or not, but that's brilliant. When he gradually, his beard is getting greyer and greyer as Christmas Day comes to a close. I love that. And that was early mocap. Although it's not digital, the, the, the actor, they, they put the thing on his face and his movements are what the puppet's doing on his face. Oh, I thought yeah. it was just a guy in a suit. Ele- electronics are following his facial movements. Less interesting, that one. Is that mocap? Well, it's a form of it because they're capturing the motions of his face. That's literally what <laughs> Mechanically mo-cap means. inside the... I yeah, yeah. just realised that you're talking about motion capture. It's like, what the... <laughs> Who's Mo Cap? Andy Andy Cap's brother. Oh, sorry. Did they do lots of effects work? <laughs> anyway, I don't think it is Mo Cap. Um, and uh, finally, the terrifying ghost of Christmas yet to come, which mm. is possibly 
as terrifying as the one in Scrooge. Which I think we didn't the Scrooge mention. one is more terrifying because, because of the he's... things living in its chest. No, that's funny. But oh, okay. The moment is more. I have a real um, interest in this moment. So when Bill Murray in Scrooge, he he sees he's going to die, but we're all going to die. So in order to sort of ramp up the dramatic tension, there he's almost burned alive. He's almost cremated yep. in his coffin. In the original Christmas Carol, which this is um, a faithful adaptation of, he just sees his own grave and it's like, I don't want to die. We, as human beings, we all understand that we die. However, we don't expect it to happen to us. And people have measured this in brain, like measuring the reaction in people's brains to something. Can't remember what. But as a fact, we understand that it happens to other people. We don't expect it to happen to us, which is really, really fascinating. And so... How does that relate? Which one do you relate to more in terms of seeing the grave or being burned alive? What or I don't is it the same? No, it's more like what I don't understand with the big the big reveal in A Christmas Carol is Ebenezer Scrooge realises he's going to die. But why would he not have realised that all along? Like It makes more sense to me in Scrooge, which is you won't be mourned because there's no one at your funeral mm. um, and you aren't as loved as you think you but are. I think that's the same in, in this because he spends ages walking around London and people going, oh, he died alone, ha, ha, ha. And he yeah. doesn't realise, he doesn't assume it's him they're talking about because I think in a weird way, even if he knows he's not loved, I think he expects to be remembered as a, a okay. great bookkeeper. Yeah. I just think knowing you're going to die, you should know that because that happens to everyone. So what is the other thing? Are you going to die early or are you going to die? Um, yeah, like that makes more sense now you've said it. Like, you're going to be um, forgotten about instantly. No, you're but- right. That Charles Dickens was a shit writer, wasn't he? <laughs> That's, I mean, I've read A Tale of Two Cities. I don't know. I, I mean, I, I know we got a bit baggy in the middle. I know each week you do offer improvements <laughs> on on existing works, but I wonder if we should draw the line at Dickens. Well, we don't know if this story will stand the test of time yet, do we? Um, although Precisely. I do, come back to me in twenty. Years. I do. I do like. I, I've got some notes, Charles. I do like to wonder though when Charles wrote this. If he named a character Fezziwig, knowing that it could be turned into Fozziwig <laughs> 150 years in the future. Um, and he missed a trick by what they did here, by giving Jacob Marley a brother called Robert Marley, as in Bob Marley. <laughs> um, so, yeah, the ghost of Christmas yet to come. Uh, very scary in this, but was going to be Animal, which I think would have oh, been possibly less scary. Yeah, Animal gets kind of short shrift in this film, and that is almost a frustration being a bit of a Muppet geek that some of my favourite ones you mm. only only get little glimpses of. But... Kermit's hardly in it as well. Yeah, Kermit's boring though. I what? feel like Kermit's. I feel like Kermit's like the Mickey Mouse of the Muppets, where yeah. it's like he's quite. He's just a bit bland, isn't mm. he? But. That's fine, because everyone around him's funny. It is really cool where it goes high-tech at the start and that laser draws out Kermit's face. In the, at the very start, before the movie begins, it goes... <laughs> and it's just drawing Kermit's face. So, yeah, I have Belinda and Melinda been in any other movies? Miss Piggy's daughters. Is this the quiz? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't know. No, me neither. I just wondered. Um, I, I did, though, when I was doing my research for this one, I listened to a biology podcast which examines science in entertainment. It's quite weird they picked this film to do. What? Uh, they started questioning Kermit and Piggy marrying and having interspecies sex to procreate and having boy frogs and girl pigs. Surely that's just that's <laughs> a really easy thing to do. Like, put two animals together and go, but could they? <laughs> well, they start getting into <laughs> they start getting I'm in, pitching. I'm pitching. <laughs> right. They start getting into Muppet genetics and dominant chromosomes and things like that. At which point, I switched it off. I thought this is pointless. This yeah. is a waste of my time. It's such a waste of your time. Well, on a nicer <laughs> note regarding Kermit, Steve Whitmire um, 
took over from Jim Henson, who, as we know, sadly passed away before this movie, and he took over Kermit, and he said he was really nervous about taking over the role of Kermit from Jim Henson, of course. And he said the night before he was due to shoot his first scene, he had a dream, and he was visited by Jim Henson, and he said to Jim, I'm nervous about taking over Kermit. And Jim Henson put his finger on his bottom lip like he always used to do when he was thinking. So did I. Bloody hell. <laughs> I'm trying to tell an emotional anecdote Sorry. here. I was like, that is a... Henson. <laughs> I'm not your puppet yeah. now. He comes to me in my dreams. Uh, Steve, I'm very sorry. I was halfway through what is a lovely story and Chris Tilly tillied all over it. Anyway, oh, he said... for the punchline. Jim Henson put his finger on his bottom lip uh, like he did while he was thinking. Say it again. I'll just say lip. And said the nervousness will pass and then disappeared. And he said it felt more like a visit than a dream. And that feeling gave him confidence for the whole film, which I think is another lovely story. I think the people who've worked with the Muppets for... A, a great part of their lives really are lovely people. Yeah. I think working with these creatures makes you quite a nice person or you are a nice person who suddenly finds himself working with these muppets. I think because you're just giving so much joy and pleasure to people, it must affect you as a person. I think Steve Whitmore recently part of company with the Muppets under a bit of a cloud. Great! <laughs> Sorry, Ooh. I was great, reading great, up great. on that the other day. Great. It's Whitmire, but maybe it's a different guy. But okay. yeah, okay, cool, 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 cool. <laughs> Was it over some allegations about mm-hmm. where Jim Henson put his finger? <laughs> no, that was the Being Elmo guy, but that's another thing. That's another story altogether. There are some sad moments. There are some scary moments. There's a lot going on in this film. I mean, I was pretty shocked when they talk about picking a spot of the graveyard on the hill where Tiny <gasps> Tim Tiny oh can see ducks God. on the river. Oh, don't, don't, don't. <laughs> It I mean, was so, so, I mean, I so must have been sad. 14 when I, see, when I saw this. If I was younger, this would have been very traumatic, oh, I think. And then when they cut to his... Mm, his empty chair yeah Ooh. the chair with the crutch and the scarf and the hat just on it to, but it's just a very grown up way of talking about grief about we're going to bury our child where he can see something he likes well, Vicky, and then when Kermit's talking about life is meetings and partings which I assume is in the original text but yeah. life, life is made up of meetings and partings that's the way hell. of it Vicky fucking hell it's an interesting one because there is one scene in this movie that yeah. was taken out um, by Disney and it was a scene uh, when Love is Gone uh, was the song. And it's Michael Caine singing, um, the elder Michael Caine, when he's revisiting his young love. And when Love is Gone was cut from the film by Jeffrey Katzenberg at Disney, who said five-year-olds aren't going to sit through this. Um, it's too long. It's boring. And it means that the payoff at the end, where it's when love is found, mm. sort of loses some of the emotion because you don't see the, the difference between the two. Now, interestingly, it was cut from the theatrical thing, brought back for the VHS, and is now missing again from all the Blu-ray releases and subsequent releases because Disney have lost the negative of it. <laughs> and Brian Henson is desperately trying to get them to find it, uh, but they can never sit. We, it's on YouTube, but it's a really poor quality version. Yeah, but I mean, the story goes that Katzenberg thought five-year-olds wouldn't like it. If you've watched that scene, or there's some behind-the-scenes footage of him recording it, um, Kane's a genuinely bad singer. He's like <laughs> he's gone to the the Rex Harrison School of Singing, where it's it's talk it rather than sing it, and he can hear that he's bad in the recording studio. And he's kind of saying to them, deadly serious, use the fact that I can't sing. 
he says it's sadder that Scrooge can't get the tune right. It's him trying. It's him trying to like convince them. I think Katzenberg just saw it and heard it and thought that is shit. How can we get around it without telling Kane you can't sing? We're not Blame using the it. Blame the five-year-olds. And also, there's something romantic about lost negatives. It's like the 1933 version of King Kong. The lost footage of that, where which which uh, Peter Jackson recreated, when they fall into the ravine and there's a giant insects there. In the original King Kong, there was a scene where they end up in this ravine with giant insects, and apparently it was so harrowing the studio cut it out and then lost the footage, so it's gone, lost to the sounds of time. Interestingly, Paul Williams, who we started talking about with regard to uh, the man who's uh, who recovered from um, the eighties to write the songs for this, he said when he met uh, Michael Caine in London in 1992 to help him with the singing on this movie. He went up to Michael Caine and went, wonderful to meet you, so excited to be working with you. And Michael Caine said, are you out of your mind? We spent an entire weekend together in London. We were at the White Elephant gambling. Oh, no. Uh, It sounds like I want to go on a night out with Paul Williams. (laughs) In in the 80s. In the 80s. Um, Have you seen the documentary about Paul Williams' life? It's very good. No, no, I haven't seen it. Quite a cantankerous fella, but um, very interesting. Yeah, well, Little Enos is the one who makes the bet with the bandit to get the beer back through Arkansas. <laughs> Texarkana. All right, we will do smoking the bandit one day, Thank Alex. you. Don't, really, don't know how many times I have to drop it. <laughs> I'm trying to figure out which cannonball run to put it up against. One, obviously one. Oh, but I prefer two. What? Yeah. The second one, I mean, neither of them have aged well, but the second one has <laughs> aged very unwell. That's why I want to do it. <laughs> Let's do that one. Don't know. I think it's nice that this was Brian Henson, Jim Henson's uh, son. It was his first movie. He was 28 when he directed this, and he said he felt completely unprepared and was utterly terrified. <laughs> and then Michael Caine didn't find out it was his first film until about halfway through and couldn't believe it, which I think is nice. Um, did you like the ending of this one? We do get to go to Bob Cratchit's house. The with... ending of A Christmas Carol. Do I like... <laughs> yeah. I, I'm too scared to say what I think about... Um... I, have, I have notes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I thought the... I love the fact that Michael Caine tricks Kermit because uh, he's being mean to him when he opens the door, even though he's changed inside. Do you think that's the time to prank... <laughs> It's a risky move, for sure. <laughs> Should um, Ashton Kutcher have done a cameo and gone punked at that point? That's an um, old reference again. <laughs> Am I taking crazy pills over well, here? You know, we're up to 2002. So I suppose we're moving along. And then I do think it's quite cheeky to invite a bunch of randoms into his house. That's the thing, because Miss Piggy, she's got to like clean that up. Basically, she's got to do dinner for 20. And he's like, yeah, but I bought the turkey, so... Uh, Piggy said in the interview I saw with her about this film, she said, it's going to be a wonderful movie, but it could have been better if my part had been bigger. (laughs) Classic Piggy. Shall we do the bits? Okay, so the best scene for me is the bit from the trailer when Ebenezer Scrooge pushes Gonzo and Rizzo out the window. (laughs) That's it. Uh, Alex? Uh, Light the lamp, not the rat! Light the lamp, not the rat! That's funny. Um... I'm going to go for the Christmas scat. Do you know what the Christmas scat is? <laughs> I don't want to come to yours at Christmas. No. <laughs> so the scene where uh, Bob Cratchit and Tiny Tim walk down the street singing for 30 seconds and you see Kermit's legs walking oh, and they yes. do this lovely little tune. Yeah, I looked it up. That's called the Christmas scat, that song they did. Okay. Uh, so from going, you didn't really like the songs. You picked a song. <laughs> well, it's, it's a th- that, no, it's a problem because they do a 30 seconds of this song. If that had been a full song, I would have, actually maybe had a different opinion of this soundtrack. That's still what he said. <laughs> you didn't like the songs you picked the song. That's still what he said. I'm Thanks, getting to what, I wait till I get to what I change. Sure. Because guess what? It's the fucking songs. 
<laughs> Alex. <laughs> Alex, who's your most valuable character? Uh, Gonzo and Rizzo, without a doubt. Two. I think those bits are really funny, and I like the fact that they break the confines of it being a film quite often. I like it when Gonzo says to Sam the Eagle, who goes, it's the American way. And he goes, British way. And he goes, <laughs> the British way. I yeah, I feel the same. Okay, uh, you both picked two characters. I'm only going to pick one character as as that's what we're supposed to do. Uh, <laughs> and I'm going with Rizzo. Okay. He reminds me a bit of Scrat in Ice Age. He just keeps getting horrible yeah. things happen to him. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I've already said I would change uh, the songs because okay. I think they're terrible. Uh, or very, just not memorable. Uh, Alex? Uh, I'd probably change that... Uh, they should find and restore the lost bit of footage so that everyone could see the complete film as Brian Henson intended because he's the filmmaker and studios shouldn't be cutting stuff out. Oh, it's a dreary song, though. It is, but I think it really does have quite a lot of emotion in it. I love the way Michael Caine, because he's fucking Michael Caine, looks at her and you really feel his loss and this idea that he's lost the love of his life. And I think it would make it a better arc by the end. Play that song to your kids and let us know what they think. I'll see if they sit through it. Yeah, I'll let you know. <laughs> Vicky? Um, I would give... We could have been anything that we were <laughs> Now we could have been. I would give Michael Caine a bit more time with his nephew, with Stephen McIntosh. Mm. Stephen McIntosh is amazing in everything he does. It's nice to see him in a role that's warm and loving and sweet and not fucking depressing yeah, shit yeah, and yeah. awful. Um, and maybe Ebenezer Scrooge could do with a bit more human interaction because he doesn't get much time with Belle with his lost love. Mm. So I just think that would have been nice. I listened to a, a Muppet Christmas Carol podcast recently as research and they got Stephen McIntosh on to talk about Brilliant. it. Brilliant. Um, he couldn't remember much of making it and he didn't bother to rewatch it in advance. Oh, no. <laughs> it was really nice, but completely useless. That upsets me. Um, right. Are you ready for a quick quiz? Okie dokie. All right. <laughs> that sounded cute. Look at your face. What a horrible smile. Okie dokie. Uh, Mickey's Christmas... Did you just say I had a horrible smile? That's a horrible smile. Yeah, you've got a nice smile. That's a horrible smile. Mickey's Christmas Carol was, re- was released in 1983 with Mickey Mouse as Bob Cratchit and Goofy as Jacob Marley. But which Disney character played Ebenezer? I'm going to say Donald Duck. No, Vicky. Bugs Bunny. It was Scrooge. It was Scrooge no, McDuck. I wasn't <laughs> Which Disney character? Yeah, Bugs Bunny. Is that right? Yeah. Well, yeah. It was Scrooge McDuck. I think that's close enough. I think I should get a point. For Scrooge that. McDuck is not Donald Duck. Scrooge McDuck is Donald Duck. Uh, a homeless man dies in Scrooge. Yes. In what other Bill Murray movie does this happen? Where a homeless person dies. dies. Is it Ghostbusters? No. No. I just wanted to get in there. <laughs> Vicky, anything? If it was Ghostbusters, uh, it's Groundhog Day. It happens over and over again. He can't oh, save. He can't save the homeless oh, man. Oh, of course. Good. Yeah. Um, in 1997, that's the kind of that's the kind of answer that annoys me about these quizzes. If we you really... almost knew it. Yeah. yeah. In 1997, an animated version of A Christmas Carol was released. Can you tell me who supplied the voice of Scrooge? Well, who made it? It's a it's a name that's come up multiple times on this podcast. Is why I picked Tim it. Tim Curry. Yes. yes! <laughs> <laughs> For a bonus point, can you tell me who voiced Scrooge's dog Bulldog? Is it? Can we have a clue? Is it a, a female actor? It's a name that's come up multiple times on this podcast. Tim Curry. Nope. The man that yep. does all the voices that we talk about all the time did the snake. Did the... <laughs> Frank Welker. Yeah. yeah I don't know who I give that to. Me, because I said the yeah, name. I don't know his name. Uh, Bill Murray gets thrown off a skyscraper during Scrooged. In what other Christmas movie does a character get thrown off a high rise? 
Uh, die Hard. Yes! yes! Uh, you both said that Gonzo is your favourite Muppet. What is Gonzo? And I will take any one of three answers I've here. I've thought about this a lot. I've got absolutely no idea. Is he an anteater? No. I did a lot oh, of reading around this last night. No. Um, mole. No. Mm. I, think... I think he's some kind... Is he an emu? No. A possum. I don't know what a possum is. He's not like. an animal. Well, okay. Right. So he's a puppet? <laughs> of a made-up um, creature? He is an alien. Oh. But I would have taken a whatever. He's actually called a whatever in four of the movies, and he's called a thing as well. Sure. I would have taken any of those. And finally, um, why is it called a Christmas carol? Well, that's a good question. Was it dedicated to Carol? Mm, I think that's the answer. No, and, and if you can't get that, can you tell me what is the the full title of A Christmas Carol? A Christmas Carol. <laughs> Colon. <laughs> Ebenezer's Revenge. <laughs> yeah, four ghosts, not three. <laughs> Five in the Muppets. It's A Christmas Carol in prose being a ghost story of Christmas, which actually would have been a better title, the second bit, than the first bit. And Dickens called it that because he expected the story to be repeated and shared and to bring people together just as the singing of Christmas carols did. Beautiful. Vicky, you've won the quiz. Oh, my God. Congratulations. Look how annoyed he is. He's really annoyed about Die Hard. Look at him. (laughs) Die Hard actually has upset me. I know. (laughs) That's why it's a good quiz. Yeah. Because it had one great question. (laughs) And you should have had Groundhog Day. Yeah, we should have done that. The verdict. So, who wants to go first? Yeah, I'll go first. Um, I... Really enjoyed watching uh, The Muppet Christmas Carol for the first time. However, Scrooge has such a legacy in my life and I love it so much as a movie. Uh, quite simply, while I think both these films are great, Scrooge is the movie I'm picking as the winner. So I thought I would feel exactly the same. I love Scrooge so much. It is part of my Christmas tradition and has been for a very long time. However, after doing some research for A Muppet Christmas Carol and reading the stories about, uh, you know, um, the voice of Kermit being visited in a dream by Jim Henson and what the voice of Gonzo said about his uh, development as a person. The feeling of warmth around this film is just so like a tidal wave of goodwill that I'm going to have to pick them up at Christmas Carol. Oh, I know. I wasn't expecting no, that. No, I wasn't either, seeing as Scrooge is literally on your list of the greatest films ever <laughs> it is, made. Yeah, it is. Yeah, wow. Yeah. So The Muppet Christmas Carol is now better than Scrooge forever. No, it's not be- It's not a better film, but it's better at being a Christmas Carol. Is that, that the connection? sounds like you're on the fence a little bit. Why are you trying to change my mind? Why no, is it a big I'm not deal? trying to change your mind. You I'm decide. Mind. <laughs> I'm looking at you. Well, I was shocked. I didn't realise that I was literally asking myself to pick between Murray and the Muppets. That's two, how the podcast two of, works. Two of my favourite things. <laughs> but I find Scrooge a bit too mean-spirited and then a bit too sentimental and not as funny as an adult as it was when I was a kid. But with the Muppets, man, those songs are so bad and there's so many of them. Um, but I do adore everything else about the Muppet Christmas Carol. So sorry, Bill. It's the Muppets. Wow. Okay. Wow. I wasn't expecting you to say that. I, I know I feel a bit bad about that. Yeah, I think... It's this, happened. Um, if I may uh, say, I think this is going to come back to haunt us. <laughs> oh, that's not bad. That's cute. Thanks. That's, nice. that's Thanks. a good way to end the podcast. Yeah. A family-friendly joke. But before we go... So it's my choice next week for next week's show. I'm going with the Christmas spirit. I think we should really celebrate Christmas. I think we should celebrate uh, Christmas in a more unknown capacity. So I've picked two movies (laughs) that I haven't seen on Netflix (laughs) that are both about Christmas. It's going to be a journey. You might have seen them. So, Chris, I'm giving you A Christmas Prince. I have not seen that. I can categorically (laughs) state I've not seen that. 
Okay, and Victoria, you're getting the Princess Switch. Oh, I love that film. Just kidding, never seen it. <laughs> so, it's a journey, it's an adventure, it's an experiment. These films are both on Netflix, so if you'd like to join us for next week's Christmas continuity show, it's a Christmas Prince and the Princess Switch. In the meantime, if you want to get in touch, we are at ClashPod on Twitter, or you can email us, show at ClashPod.com. Thank you very much for listening. We'll be back in a week. And if you have time, do rate and review us, and please subscribe to us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bye for now. This was a Stakhanov production.